the matter of the people of the state of California versus Orenthal James Simpson, case number BA09. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for Welcome your country. Doomed to fail red flaggy relationships, one historical, one true crime. I'm Fars, joined here by Taylor. Hi, Taylor. Hello. Taylor's had a really, really busy morning, and she has a really busy after this. There was the kids' baseball game or softball game that she T ball, yep, the last T ball game of the season. Mm -hmm. uh, and then she has a piano recital to get to, and mm -hmm. then a lot of wine to hopefully drink later tonight when the kids are asleep. 100%. Yeah, it's also lot. my it's it's my birthday weekend. Do you know my birthday's on Monday? No, Facebook didn't tell me. I'll tell you. I'll tell you like on the day. Okay, that's not helpful. Um, what do you have planned besides all this stuff that you're doing with the kids? I know exactly. I was gonna ask if I could um take a nap tomorrow, like most of the day. <laughs> Solid present. Solid yeah. gift that you're giving yourself. Mm -hmm. Love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was I was trying to. Think game plan out our Halloween activities because we got to start thinking about this like now and I was going to message you and Jay and ask if there's any interest in going to Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando this year I just made a Florida face I know but the one in the one in Orlando is so much better than the one in LA I know um I'll think about it yeah I'll message I'll message Jay about it too I mean, it I, sounds fun it sounds fun, but it's like part of me is like, ugh, they got a wedding like the next month, like they, were they really gonna want to like travel, you know, on like one weekend that they don't have to, so TBD. But yeah, we can go ahead and kick things off. And Taylor, you know, I had a night last night. I don't remember who goes first with the. I think I do. Thing. You go first, okay? Yeah. So I need to tell you a drink, and I don't have a drink, so we're gonna have to brainstorm this together in real time together. What did okay. you drink last night? Uh, I had bourbon, but I only have like one glass of bourbon and then I drank red wine. Okay. What would happen if you mix red wine with um, bourbon? Would that be good? Um, I've had cocktails that have like a splash of wine in them, yes, but so there's not like a mixing them together. I feel like someone would have done that if it was, if it was good. I did, I was thinking about yesterday because of, I don't know why, as a sushi restaurant, someone was doing sake bombs and that reminded me of you. <laughs> I don't know, we've never done a sake bomb, but I was like, I don't know. I just was thinking maybe because of the, the, um, that one thing with the Guinness and the Sambuca on top. That is a weird synchronicity because I was looking at a place called Texas Sake Bar to go to this weekend because it looks mm. kind of fun and kind of cool. Nice. Fine, do sake. I'll do sake. Yeah. Great. Yeah, that's my drink. Sake in the fridge. Perfect. Wow, you're Perfect. really prepared. Yeah, well, at the restaurant we have, the, like your second bottle and like little bottles of sake is half off and then i just like take it home okay yeah that's yeah. fun that's yeah. fun so yeah i'll do sake for my drink which has nothing to do with location or the events i'm going to be discussing but that'll be my drink cool love it so for my drink we're drinking absinthe and have you ever had absinthe oh yeah i don't know why i bothered asking. <laughs> yeah, not because it was a drink that was drunk during this time because my story is in like the, the late 1700s and absinthe actually came to france around 1840 so they didn't drink absinthe in the story, but we're drinking it because it's green. So have have you green. had absinthe? Yes. Okay. It's fun. It's like a ritual. It's like a fun thing to make. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like licorice things too. So yeah. So but actually I think it tastes terrible, but I think it's fun to have because you like have the cube, the sugar cube. Right, you and put you it like over light it and like, yeah, it's it's just it's just fun. It's like a fun little ritual. Yeah. I've been drinking mezcal, which is like 
tastes terrible, but also I like it. It's weird. Yeah, I've said a mezcal margarita. I was like, mezcal is fine on it. You don't, you don't need sugary mezcal. Yeah. Like, it makes it worse. Yeah. So. Totally. Um, anyway, we're drinking green absinthe because we're talking about the mother of the monster and her free-loving poet of a husband, Mary and Percy Shelley. Yes. Nice. Uh, yeah. So I, my main source was a book, the book Mary Shelley by Miranda Seymour. Um, it took me like a month to listen to it, but I listened to the whole thing and it was very good. And then, you know, Wikipedia and ChatGPT and all of that. But I want to lay out our red flags. I don't think you're going to miss them, but here's what they are. They eloped when she was 16, but he was already married and his wife was pregnant. And he also, he also wanted her to sleep with all of his friends and he wanted to sleep with her friends and he definitely slept with her sister. So, um, wow. That's, that's an accomplished man. Yeah. Yeah. No, not, 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 not great. So yeah. So those are the red flags. We'll, we'll get into them as we go. Um, so, so much of this story is taken from Mary's letters and journals and Percy's letters and Claire, her sister's letters. So you have to kind of take their writing and know that it's edited. So you could like literally burn things and no one would ever see it again. You know, it's like a real disposable time. So it's really like what they wanted us to know. And also, I think I've said this before, but like imagine if someone wrote your life story off of your journals and emails, you could isolate times in your life and make a great fucking story. So I want to so I was thinking like, for example, my senior year of high school was wild. I had a punk rock boyfriend who was a drummer. Then I had some like friends that like, you know, like potentially like hooked up. It was weird. Then I went on a date with a dude in a boy band and we didn't hit it off. So he introduced me to another boy band member and we dated for a while. Then I went to Germany and met a guitar player who was, who I very recently found a picture of him and looked him up, up on Instagram. And within five minutes sending him a message, he sent me back a picture of us from then, which was super cute. And then also, B, I wrote A, B in Germany. I was camping with my friends in the woods and like this dude was just like in the woods and his name was Dennis. And he was like, I have the same dreams as you. And it was like, I don't know, I was an idiot, but it was like, but we were like super excited. And I was like, this is crazy. And then I, and then I went home and my boy band boyfriend was still there. And then also then I went to college. I'm just like, Jesus Christ, you can make any of that into an hour and a half long movie. And I think it'd be really good. Yeah, you accomplished a lot. You liked a lot of boy band people, huh? Yeah. yeah. What was your thing? I mean, when is it not anyone's thing? Yeah, I, I I did buy a guitar at one point and I learned how to play Oasis uh, Wonderwall for like mm-hmm. three minutes. And totally. and I was like, this is the way you get girls. And it didn't work. <laughs> I've already warned Florence. I'm like, Florence, the first boy that picks up a guitar and sings Brown Eyed Girl to you, you're in trouble. Yep, there you Always go. Trouble. Yeah, so anyway, there's fun. So this is just like, excerpts from her life but i feel like it tells the whole story but also just like you could tell a full story out of like any time in your life you could write a full story about our time at nation builder you know oh, yeah. and like end it and it ends yeah. in a death you know like that's kind of cool you could have made that a good story anyway so i also oh recently threw away all my journals from high school because they were like just really stupid but also like could they have been a gothic romance and then i wrote they weren't because it was the 90s <laughs> so it was not a gothic romance so anyway Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin Shelley was born on August 30th, 1797 in London. Her mother, Mary Wollstonecraft, died 11 days after she was born. And you know how she died? This is so gross. She uh, didn't die of- Sepsis. Yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly what sepsis says, but she died of an infection that she got because the doctor's hands were dirty. So gross. So gross. 
It was so horrifying and gross and awful. So um, so Mary never met her mother. Her mother was actually a famous writer on her own. So her mother, Mary, Mary Wollstonecraft, was considered one of the founding voices of modern feminism. She wrote about women's education, marriage, and status. She wanted more of like a free love situation. So do whatever you want, which was a lot for the 1700s. Um, she also was, you know, she had a, a baby out of, out of wedlock. She was kind of like, you know, just doing whatever she wanted to do. And also just to, get, to put in like time frames, this is the late 1700s. So we're in like Catherine the Great time, Mutiny on the Bounty time. Oscar Wilde kind of ends up in the story much later. He's the neighbor of Mary's and Percy's son. So oh. just like where we are in history. So some of the notable works of Mary's mother, Mary, um, she wrote a vindication of the rights of women, which said that women should have the same rights as men, which we're still fighting that fight. And that was in 1792. And, Taylor, is your yeah. version of feminism considered not okay anymore? What's my version of feminism? Remember when you told me how like you like to wear makeup and pretty dresses and these other women were like, you're not a good feminist because you should like shave your head and wear flannel or something? I forgot what it was, but it was like, yeah, you're like I really like that. it. They're being real bitchy. Um, my version of fem feminism is do whatever the fuck you want and is, be able is, to have the opportunity. But is that considered okay still? I don't know. Okay, it's so hard to keep up with what it's okay now. I know. I have no idea. Okay, um, sorry to derail. Yeah. No, good question. I'm not sure. <laughs> but Mary Wollstonecraft continued to influence future generations of feminists. And this is what Mary Shelley was kind of like living up to. So you don't know your mother, but you have these books that she wrote that were published. You have her journals, you have her letters. So like, who do you think your mother was and, and how do you live up to that? So that's a big part of, of Mary Shelley's story. Um, her father was William Godwin. He was a little bit of a bumblebutt. So he was a philosopher, a novelist, a political theorist. He wrote books about uh, political justice. He owned a bookstore in London and he was literally always in debt. Like he never made enough money to keep his family um, secure. He was always like chasing the next pound or whatever. Like he just was never, never secured. He was an eccentric who like really was like into these like kind of like liberal political ideas. Aaron Burr, do you know who Aaron Burr is? Yeah, yeah, he shot um... Hamilton. Yeah, Hamilton. So after all that happened, he kind of like escaped to Europe and he stayed with with them for a while. So yeah, which is weird. So he like there's like some famous people that kind of come in and out of her life in a weird way. I didn't write this down, but later, like much later, like one of her girlfriends like hooks up with Lafayette when he's old. So like we've talked about wow. him before. So like that, you know, that happens. So William Godwin, her uh, Mary Shelley's father, married a woman named Mary Jane Claremont later after his wife died. So the household was William and Mary Jane, the parents. Fanny Imlay was Mary Wollstonecraft's illegitimate daughter with an American businessman that she met before Godwin. So Mary had this older half-sister who her father was out in the picture and her mom was dead. So Fanny, but they adopted Fanny into the family. Then there's Mary. And then Mary Jane brought in two children from her first marriage, Claire and Charles. And then they had a baby William. So it's kind of like the Brady Bunch. Right. Mary and Claire are very, very close in age. And they have a really insane relationship that we'll get to. So that's that's her, her uh, stepsister. So now for Percy. Percy Bysshe Shelley was born on August 4th, 1792, which makes him five years older than Mary. Um, his father, Sir Timothy Shelley, was a member of gentry and he was a squire he had some shelley family estates so they were like pretty well off the shelleys he was known for his conservative and traditional values and so i wrote aka he was unamused by his son's shenanigans so 
Yeah, what is conservative back then? God, it must be like insane. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Percy's mother, Elizabeth Pelfold Shelley, was also very fancy. So, Percy's like a bit of a dandy. Their lifestyle is like kind of confusing and like kind of bizarre. So, they're in a constant state, like, Percy and Mary and Mary's family are in a constant state of we're poor. Like we don't have any money, but they're moving from like furnished house to furnished house. You know, they're like living in like these like big houses in, in Italy and in Florence and in Paris and in London. So they keep like moving around, but they're never like homeless. And they also always have servants. So like she never cooked or cleaned. So it's like, we're super poor, but could you imagine not having servants? <laughs> you know, like, okay. I mean, it kind of reminded me when I was in Ireland and you have all these castles that are still owned by the same families that were like bequeathed them from like generations ago. But like, yeah, you have a castle, but you can't afford it. So you have to open it up to the public and have them pay an admission fee to like be able to yeah. leave the lights on and turn the heat on. So like, I don't know, maybe it was one of those like house poor things. Yeah, totally. So, well, they didn't like own houses, like rented houses around. Anyway, Percy is even in, he comes into the story because. He wants to be a writer. And so he goes to William Godwin's bookstore and says, I will be your benefactor. If you teach me like some of your skills, I will give you money. And spoiler alert, he never fucking does. So like for the rest of his life and the rest of William Godwin's life, he's like, give me money, especially after you stole my children. And Percy's like, no, he never does. Percy is married to a woman named Harriet Westbrook. They got married in 1811. They eloped when Harriet was only 16 years old, pattern, and they had two children together. She was pregnant with a second children child when he left her for Mary. So he's always like never, Percy's never been like a faithful dude. His Wikipedia says he was in an intense platonic relationship with someone else, which is hilarious. And, you know, so he's like, but he's like, he thinks of himself as like a romantic guy you know like he's yeah. super into like he's into mary wollstonecraft's like free love stuff he's like you know let's all just like be happy and whatever so another question i have for you is are you are you are you a poetry person <laughs> i'm laughing i wrote i feel like no but like i don't know maybe you have a secret like like for poetry it's it's almost like we've never met <laughs> i know well i thought i would just see make sure okay i'm gonna read you a little bit of Percy's poems. Cool. So you can get an idea of what this dude is like. This is an excerpt from Ode to the West Wind. O wild west wind, thou breath of autumn's being, thou from whose unseen presence the leaves dead are driven like ghosts from an, ench from an enchanter fleeing, yellow and black and pale and hectic red, pestilence stricken multitudes, O thou who charioteth to the dark dark wintry bed, the winged seeds where they lie cold and low, each like a corpse within its grave, until thine azure sister of spring shall blow. That's, so you know, it's flowery. I, yeah, I, I guess I would describe it that way. How else would you describe it? It just, it's like, it sounds luxurious, like somebody who has never had to like worry very much about anything in life. Exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, like the internet was like, you know, emotional intense, intensity, vivid imagery, blah, 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 whatever. Um, like it's, so not, it's not the coal miner's daughter, you know, like exactly. it is, it is like, it, it hits a note, but not <laughs> like one that I love. Yes. 
So Mary, so now it's like 1810, 1812-ish. Percy is in the Godwin's shop. They met in 1814 when he came over there. So she probably didn't know that he had a, a pregnant wife. But even if she did know, I, I from this, from the poem and from this, I know exactly what kind of guy Percy was. I'm sure he was like, oh, my wife is the worst and you're so pretty and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm, writing her poems, blah, blah. That so works. it in 1814, they run away to France. They take Claire with them, which will always be a problem. Claire is the worst. I'm Team Mary, 100%. So Claire's her stepsister. Yeah. So the so they're doing like weird rich poor. I read a while ago. I read a book where like there was in this time you would like bring a letter of introduction to a place. So I bring a letter that'd be like, oh well, not me because I'm a woman. I couldn't get a lot of credit. But a man would like bring a letter and be, like, you know, Fars is you know vouches for me here's a letter from fars and then they would someone would like credit me money when i when i went to a different place so you have to like kind of like take your, credit score. yeah but like very manual so that's what they're doing they go to france mary's already pregnant so she's 16 she's already pregnant percy's still married to harriet who's also pregnant just to say this now mary gets pregnant five times and four of the babies die young which is awful. They have one son live to be about like four or five, but then he died. And their fifth child, a son, is the only one who lived to adulthood. So they only had one uh, child survive all the way, which is terrible. I mean, she doesn't sound like a great mom if all your kids are dying and there's no congenital defects. That's not her fault all her kids are dying. It's the 1700s. Her mom died because the dirty doctor hands. Yeah, I guess that's true. No. Like 75% is like a lot. It's a lot of kids to die. Yes, it's awful. It's 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 higher than than average. If seventy five percent of the dogs I owned died, like with like in three years, like you gotta stop giving me dogs. Well, yes, that's that's definitely fair. But it's also just like it's I think it's of the time. I think it's high. But she was like, I don't know. It's just a, there's a lot of disease. I don't know. You're, you're defending. It's fine. It's not her fault. She didn't kill her babies. Know, you're, you're defending her. Yeah, it's a terrible thing to happen. I'm not telling you She didn't kill her babies. Stop it. Okay. It's terrible. Um, so Percy wants to have a commune, literally, and like he has her flirt with one of his friends, and he's like, "You should hook up with that guy." You know, he wants to have like a lot of lovers and like all live together. They live in Italy for a while. They climb Mount Vesuvius, which is hilarious because I've also climbed Mount Vesuvius and it's stupid. It's just like a trail around, and there's like nothing, and it's boring. Their son William, like he speaks Italian before anything else. Already, Percy and Claire are a hundred percent sleeping with each other. They're like maybe already doing it, but um, as soon as you know, Mary starts like getting pregnant, and he's she's definitely sleeping with Claire too. And Mary does not like Claire. She hates her. She does not does not want her around. She's like, how can we get rid of her? I'm just tired of her following us. And Percy's always like, oh no, let her stay. Of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, we're doing it. Yeah, she's just like, is a, such a hanger on her. It's crazy. So in 1816, they travel to Geneva to meet with Lord Byron, who's another poet. Have you watched the show Ghosts? No, but they, Lord Byron's a pretty big name. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So in the show I've Ghosts, seen show. Yeah. It's, there's a British version and an American version, but I've watched the British one, but there's like a poet and he's always like, oh, Byron. But he's like, he's exactly this kind of guy. Like, the ghost is like exactly this kind of poet, you know? But let me read to you. A little bit of a Lord Byron poem. Okay. This one's called She Walks in Beauty. She walks in beauty like the night of cloudless climes and starry skies, and all that's best of dark and bright meet in her aspect and her eyes, thus mellowed to that tender light which heaven to gaudy day denies. 
One shade the more, one ray the less, had half impaired the nameless grace, which waves in every raven tress or softly lightens over her face, where thoughts serenely sweet express how pure, how dear their dwelling place. God, they're so infatuated with women, but like, man, they really don't want them to have rights. Like, it's weird. <laughs> so <laughs> they, them. they just want to like have women around, but they don't like, why would you bother? Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> I mean, that, that was very pretty, but yeah. It's very pretty. So it's much longer. That was a that was that was an excerpt of an excerpt, but um, very pretty, very romantic. So this is the big trip. This is the life changing trip where they go to Geneva. One thing that happens is that Claire and Lord Byron hook up, and she gets pregnant. So now Claire is pregnant from from Lord Byron. I imagine it was a ploy by Percy to get them all to live together because he wanted to live with Lord Byron too. You're like sure, like that's super romantic. They just like kind of like live in Geneva and could hang out, but they don't. They end up like. They never were really together. Laura Byron just got her pregnant. Their daughter, Allegra, was eventually taken by Byron. And he ended up putting the Allegra in foster care, even though Claire wanted her back. And Claire was really poor as she was a nanny around Europe. And Allegra died when she was four of malaria. And that was like, Laura Byron could have just given her to her mom and to have taken care of her. So that yeah. sucks. But so the other thing that happens on this trip to Geneva is that Mary starts writing a story which is a super popular story. So it's a historical fact that it was a gloomy ass summer. Like there was no sun. It was like rainy and everybody, you know, they're all writers here, including Claire, who's like not very great, but Frankenstein didn't come out of nowhere. So there are many, many versions of it. She didn't just like write it in one day. She like came up with the story on this trip, but then she, then she, you know, worked on it for a long time. So it's called officially Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus. And you know how that joke is like, Frankenstein is like the monster or whatever, I got it wrong, but you know what I mean. Frankenstein no, is Frankenstein is the doctor. Yeah. Yes, so Frankenstein is the doctor. So, so the title is Frankenstein, the modern Prometheus. So Frankenstein, the doctor is the modern Prometheus in which he's giving society a technology that society does not know how to handle. And that's like what we saw with the Curies too, because Prometheus, he stole fire from the gods and brought brought it to humans because being like, this can help you, but didn't see the, un the um, unintended consequences of doing it. So giving humans fire gave them a choice to use it for good or evil. So that's what she was had in her mind, like Dr. Frankenstein giving um, the world this ability to like reanimate and do use it for good or to use it for evil. Is that the actual title? Yes. Wow, that's weird. I never knew that. <laughs> I know. Well, cool. I know. So it's a wild time to be alive, like I've said. So there's a couple of things happening also in the world. Like there's a thing called galvanism, which is using electricity to stimulate muscle contractions. So people were like electrocuting dead frogs and like showing them jump. That had you know? to be fun. That really yeah. had to be fun. Yeah. So like that was like a thing in the world. There's also a lot of like just like things happening in science and philosophy that are new. There's also the beginning of the industrial revolution. So this is where we like, you know, really seeing like machines like becoming so she knows that's happening uh, and also it's a really sad story so there's also some like experiences of loss and grief and in, in frankenstein as well so frankenstein is published anonymously in 1818 she's only 20 years old when she when she published that's it. crazy yeah so 200 year spoiler alert let me tell you what frankenstein is about because it's not like the movies and also incidentally she never got any money from any of the plays or acting out of that people did from the book, which is lame. Well, yeah, so, because patent laws don't protect content, but that's, old. that's yeah. that old. Mm -hmm. No, 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 even in her time. 
there was oh. like, it wasn't it wasn't a thing. Oh, um, okay. So it starts with a story of a man writing letters from the Arctic. So he's a, a, like a man is in, in the Arctic and he is um, writing letters to his wife. He's on an expedition and he sees in the distance like a sled with someone like a huge person on it, like going really fast. And then he sees another sled or whatever coming after it with an old man who um, is Dr. Frankenstein, who is Victor Frankenstein. And he's like, I'm trying to find this creation and, and, and chase after this, this monster that I made. So he's, he tells the story to the man on the boat. So when we go back and he's telling his story, Victor Frankenstein is in college. He starts to think about bringing something back to life. And he does, he does it like right away. So he finds like the dead body, brings it back to life, and he's horrified by it because it's like big and ugly and not what he expected. And he well, he didn't find the dead body, right? He found bodies and he pieced Frankenstein together. I think so. I'm not 100 percent sure. Okay. But but it does get, but it gets alive really fast. Then it escapes. Then it kills Victor Frankenstein's little brother, and then. The monster like spends some time outside of like a family home and he like listens to the family talking he's like outside their windows and he's like i think i could be a part of this family like he's really really lonely and then when he meets them in like he, he like he like says hello to them they're super scared they're, like scream and run away and he burns their house down because he's like no one will ever love me i'm so ugly um and then he asks he goes back to Dr. Frankenstein and says, I need a, I need a partner. I need someone who's just like me that I can live my life with because I'm lonely. And he says, Dr. Frankenstein says, okay, I will make you like a girlfriend, essentially. But he doesn't. Instead, he destroys all of his, all of his papers. And the monster sees him doing that and goes back and murders Victor's wife on their wedding night. And then he escapes. So that's where he's like going out into the Arctic just to like be alone. Victor's running after him. Um, eventually Victor dies on the boat and the monster comes back and takes his body and mourns over him. So he didn't kill that little girl? Like all that, all the movie stuff of like, he finds a little girl and he like, the front monster finds a little girl and kills her by hugging her too much or whatever, like wanting her to be with him. Like that, none of that, that happened. Huh. No, none of the, it's alive. I don't even think, is, is there an Igor in it? I don't know. Yeah, there is. Yeah, his helper, the, the hunchback. No, no. I, I, no, I'm saying in the book. Oh, There's I, so I, many I, versions of the story is what I'm saying. Like, right, right. she wrote several versions of it, and then, like, the world took it because it's a great fucking story and wrote a million versions of it. I just watched Young Frankenstein again with my sister. It's so good. So good. I mean, Robert De Niro played Frankenstein's monster at one point. Like, it's been yeah. done to death at this point. Exactly. exactly. So, but the point is, once you invent something, you can't go back. So that's that that's like the the lesson of the of the story. Now there's a little bit more money around. They're trying to find patrons. They're writing poetry. There's some babies around. Um, Lord Byron left. He never intended to stay. Mary's dad still wants money from Shelley. He's never going to give it to him. And then after a couple of random weird things happen, like after one of her babies dies, Percy tries to get another baby in Italy for them, which like isn't weird. Like during this time, like there were just like tons of Italian orphans you could like buy. It was like a totally normal thing there. That's cool. That and, uh, but they think that it was actually Percy's kid from like an affair. Yikes. And so, but they did ended up not keeping that baby. And then also some other tragedies happen. Mary's oh, older Wait, sister, what do you mean they ended up not, they just gave it back? Yeah, they just like, gave it to like the baby box. I don't know. It's like a very free baby time. Oh, it's so easy going. Yeah. And then some other tragic things happen. Mary's older sister, Fanny, dies by suicide. But their, their mother, Mary Wollstonecraft, definitely had like 
severe depression and both girls have it. So Mary's super depressed and so was her sister. Her sister's a little bit like, I'm out of this loop. I'm not really a part of this family. I don't really have anyone. So she goes and she dies by suicide and they can't get her body back because suicide is a crime. So if they like say that they know her, they'll have to like pay a fine. So they have to leave her body where she was found. Wow. Which is terrible. It doesn't make any sense. And then Percy's wife, Harriet, also dies by suicide, which is terrible because she, like, she Percy tried to like frame her as like a terrible wife and all these things but like she was just fine he just didn't want to be married you know so she does by suicide too which is awful so now they're trying to they're they're going around europe mary's still trying to get rid of claire eventually she gets her a nanny job and gets rid of her claire's trying to get her daughter back but she doesn't get it back so in this time you know rich poor i can imagine shelly being like we don't have any money i have to write poems you know just like being the worst you know seeing him him like that on july 1st 1822 a few weeks after Mary had another miscarriage. So I think that they have their son Percy and then she has like her final miscarriage and Percy got in a boat that was his boat and he meant to meet meet with Lord Byron and some other people to talk about a new publication called The Liberal. So they were going to make like a pamphlet or whatever. And on the way back, the boat was overmassed. That means it had like the wrong, what is it called? Uh, Sales sails the wrong sails and the crew was inexperienced and everyone drowned so percy died when he was 29 so he uh him and mary were only together for like eight years there was a delay in knowing if they were dead because of like the time period they were like well did he get to his destination and like no one knew and they had to like find someone like travel around and finally figured out that they hadn't made it 10 days later their bodies washed up on shore and he was cremated on the beach mary and another like a person who was like a friend of theirs took Percy Shelley's heart out of his body and put it in a jar with like liquor to keep it and then Mary eventually got it and like burned it so she had the ashes of his heart and she kept them with her until her death she always had his heart with her that's kind of romantic but mostly grotesque mostly gross mostly gross so now Mary is a widow and she's still doing the same thing. She's traveling around, but she's a great friend. There's a ton of stories of her, like giving people money and like supporting young artists and all of these other things that she doesn't, you know, she, she never accumulates her own wealth because she's always like kind of giving it away. She's writing up more books. She writes poetry. She writes some biographies of like different uh, people to, to, just to sell those. One thing that she does that I think is fun is she's friends with a trans man who known who was named Isabel Robinson and the the story goes she had a friend who was like I have to leave England because I am pregnant out of wedlock how do I get out of here and how do I like keep my uh like reputation and then she had another friend who's like I want to I am a man I want to dress like a man like I want to be a man so Mary got them fake papers and had them get married so that they were able to escape and they lived together as man and wife for like a very long time. It's pretty cool. So isn't that cool? And Mary was like super supportive of that. She was like, whatever, that's fine. I think unfortunately the the trans man friend ended up dying in a poorhouse and like bad things happened later, but still it's a cool story. Yeah. So so she's doing that. She's writing some books. She wrote more books that I've never read and I really would like to. She 
wrote a novel called Velperga, one called The Last Man. Her last one was called Falk Faulkner. She also spent a lot of time editing Percy's papers and trying to figure out who was going to write a biography about him. So she was, it was like a kind of a perpetual fight between like his family and her family, like who was going to actually be the one to like kind of capitalize off, off of his life and his poems. She did, she published, published like an edited version of his poems. People hated it. Like they just, like, it's, which is weird because you're like, how do you edit poems differently? whatever so she was doing a little bit of that his dad so percy shelley's dad he gave her an allowance but he never met her he was like giving mm. her money to, to, to as his son's widow but they never met and when he finally died he left her and her son a house um, but the house was like in shambles they took all the furniture and there were like people living on the land who had to pay rent but like the um crops were bad it was just like not a good situation like it sounded like good and cool but it was not cool yeah. And yeah. And then she is also editing a lot of his stuff to be a little bit less truthful because England is getting more Victorian during this time, like more conservative, more like what we know as like classic Victorian. So she's not so she says like we were married when we ran away. Like they definitely weren't, you know, and she like leaves out the stuff that he wanted her to sleep with all of his friends. So she kind of edits a little bit depending on the time. So their son Percy is kind of a dud, unfortunately. He she tries to get him to like run for office, but no one like votes for him. He like fiddles around school. He's like not that smart. Eventually he does get married to a woman named Jane and Jane and Mary become really good friends. So Jane, her daughter-in-law is one of the people who, you know, really helps Mary organize her papers and like start to put stuff together for her own story. And later Jane is like one of the people who's in charge of her, of her biography. And she definitely like idolizes Mary and talks about her in like a really like romantic way. Like she's the best. And eventually uh, Percy and Jane, they run like a playhouse. They write plays. Percy like does like the costume design and paints the backdrops and writes the plays and people like it. It's like very amusing. So he does fine. They live a couple, they um, built a house and they call their house like Shelley House, House of Shelley. And then Oscar Wilde named his house, House of Something Else to make fun of them, like down the street. So that's where that comes back. Mary's father passes away in 1844, so she's, like, feeling super lonely and awful. She's really sad. She kind of reconciled with her dad, and she's super sad when he's gone. Then she starts to have, in her 40s, so they're, like, she was 40 and, like, still walking around. You're, like, oh, my gosh, she was 40. She's not, like, 100, but, you know, whatever, of the time. She started to get these weird headaches. You just started to kind of get, like, not feel good. She had to rest a lot. She spent some time traveling with, like, to get the sea air and do things like that, and it ended up that she died in 1851 at the age of 53 and at when they did her autopsy she definitely had brain cancer so she had like a large tumor in her brain that she had been living with for like a really long time um, and that was the thing that ended up ended up killing her and then after that you know it's a kind of a mess of people trying to capitalize off of them trying to sell their stories it's kind of frankenstein having really a life of its own you know becoming like one of the most famous stories um ever but in you know really she was a very so smart so talented and so lonely woman who was really kind of like abandoned by her mom abandoned by her husband trying to just like live her creative life and that's it can you imagine being 20 and running the most influential thing in the history of the world no i'm like 38 and i barely influence like a single person much less the rest of the world i know I know. It's a lot. It's a lot to live up to. They kind of sound like a fun group, though. Like they sound, sound they sound like like a San Francisco like tech bro community of like they just freewheeling, doing whatever they want. 
I mean, I, I love the idea of like, oh, let's move into this like potentially really dusty, like really big house in Europe together and then like take all of the sheets off all the furniture and you just like write poems there for a couple months and then you move somewhere else, you know, and like, you're like, oh, we're so poor. Also, servant, make me dinner. I you love know, it. I, I feel like that would, that's good for you, but not so good for me. If someone was yeah. like, Forrest, you have to sit in a room and write poetry, I'd be like, fucking kill me. I'm not doing I'm not going to write poetry, but I would like to sit in a room and read for like a month, you know? Do you remember when you, when you told me that like your biggest hope for Flo is that she doesn't become like a po poet? Yes. Oh yeah, no, it would be terrible to have a child who was a poet because you'd have to listen to all of their bad poems and their good ones. Ugh. So we're on the same page. Yeah, no, that'd be terrible. Like imagine, if, oh my god, if, like for if like Miles was like, hold on, if I'd be like, like, hey mom. And on that cheek and over that brow, so soft, so calm, yet eloquent. The smiles that win, the tints that glow, the tell of days and goodness spent, a mind at peace with all below, a heart whose love is innocent. I'd be like, good job. That rhymes. Like, you gotta... So watch TV. You, yeah, go do something different. Like, this is not <laughs> worth your time. Here, learn how to learn how to code JavaScript. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, not really. Yeah, so that's it. It's It's he i think percy really just like had these women following him around you know and yeah it's not hard least. when you like are a poet and you walk up to every woman and you're like i need to paint you in words like it's just like you know <laughs> what i mean like like how easy is that like i so can do that easy. right now 100 percent. even if like it sounds like shit i could do it uh, yeah 100 percent. no one would ever tell you that your poems are bad they would just be like first write a poem about me He's he's so mysterious. He's like this this dark mysterious guy. Like it must be a cultural thing. It's like no, he's he just like knows how to manipulate you. That's exactly right. It's very 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 manipulative. Okay, wait, hold on. Write a poem, a short poem, about a mysterious man named Tavares. Oh my god. Ooh. Okay, ready? Yes. Too long. Okay. Okay, this is way too long. This is way too long, ChatGPT. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit of it. In shadows deep where secrets lie, there walks a man far as by and by. Mysterious he with eyes so keen, a veil of enigma his silent scene. In moonlight nights he treads the streets, his presence felt where darkness meets. Whispers follow his elusive trace, a figure cloaked in mystic grace. With every step he stirs intrigue, his words like riddles make minds fatigue. In cryptic language his tales unfold, a tapestry woven of stories untold. Who is far as his enigmatic soul, a wanderer, a sage beyond control, his wisdom deep, his Past unknown, a man of secrets yet to be known. He dances with shadows through twilight's haze, a master of secrets and mysterious ways. With every glance, a glimpse of his heart, a puzzle unsolved, a puzzle to start. In whispered rumors, his legend grows, an enigma wrapped in mysteries throws. Far is the man of the veiled unknown. Intrigue follows wherever he's thrown. So let us wonder, let us dream. In Farza's world where mysteries gleam, for in his presence we find delight in the riddles he weaves in the depths of night. Dude, that is awesome. Hey, can you sl <laughs> hey, slack me that. I'm going to put part of that on my uh, on my uh, dating profile. <laughs> Your resume. That was yeah, real good. That was awesome. <laughs> and, it, and it totally encapsulates me as a person. <laughs> I am mysterious. And my you riddles, are. I do produce riddles of the mind. Oh, my gosh. So funny. Well, now it's easy to write poetry. I know. I know. It's only a really good career. Moving on to the true crime side of the equation. I got a bad one for us today. Oh, a bad one? Well, a bad story, yeah. Mm. Okay, so Taylor, we are a little bit desensitized 
me and you and a lot of the listeners who mm-hmm. actually listen to true crime because we know what Ted Bundy did. We know Je- what Jeffrey Dahmer did. We know what mm-hmm. Andre Chikatilo did. Yeah. And you look at that stuff and you're like, can anything possibly surprise you about what oh humans are capable of doing to each other? Mm-hmm. And usually the answer is no, but I can mm-hmm. actually think of two crimes that came to mind for me whenever I think of like, man, so we can level up beyond that. Mm-hmm. One of them I've already covered. One of them was actually Lawrence Bidicker and Roy Norris and what they did to that poor girl in that van that yeah, we yeah. covered the forever to- the ago. Toy box. Yeah. Yes. Uh, no, Toolbox. Toolbox toy is the different guy. Both are awful. <laughs> Both are awful. But like this story that I'm going to describe has a lot in common with that. First off, it involved, it's not a romantic relationship that got two people together. It was like a criminal relationship that got these two people together and put each other in their, mm-hmm. each other's orbit. And the other one is that it kind of stuck out in my mind about how cruel it is. I'm going to say this. I went back as I was researching this and was like, why did this stick in my mind as being so bad? Because now in hindsight, I've definitely covered worse crimes. I think the part of it that makes it so bad is that the things that happen to these people in and of themselves are awful. Like I will admit mm-hmm. that they're awful, but mm-hmm. they're not like crazy, crazy. Like I, I definitely heard of worse things that happen. I think what it is, is the randomness of it and the mm-hmm. type of victims that they were. So the type of victims they were were like very upper class income, successful mm-hmm. white people. They were mm-hmm. the perfect like little nuclear family. And the randomness of what happened to them is just like how on earth it's it's scary because it feels like oh that this could literally just happen to anyone at any time like i was actually doing the math on this it was like we're probably gonna get into an argument over this because i can understand reading a story like this why people are so gun happy in this country because it's like yeah wait somebody can come into your house and do that to you and yes the outcome is that like also people can go into schools and shoot kids like i i get the I juxtaposition there but almost like I, if this ever was a thing that I thought was possible in my life, I would definitely go get like a gun and want to kill somebody that came in my house and did this. So anyways, that's the framing. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking, I think you're going to say, and it's awful. And also, yeah, you're afraid of the random, the randomness. Yeah. The randomness of it is like, what is so freaky? Like, I mean, that's yeah. the part of it that I think just, because again, like, what ended up happening to them like wasn't like the most violent thing I've ever read. It's more like just like damn, like really, like that. That's just like that could be your life. It reminds me. It, it's basically like the um the the strangers, right? It's like it's a randomness of like yes. the strangers. Like that's that's the story. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so we're gonna get into our two main antagonists first. First off, we have a guy named Joshua Andrew Komisarzewski. Komisarzewski. Okay. Okay. I was I, I was just writing this. I was like, man, I should have had Taylor do this because she is so much better at pronouncing these crazy names than I am. Josh, okay, far, so, far more silken sand. Th- but th- this has so many more syllables than my name. Like, <laughs> my name looks hard because people are lazy. But if you actually look at it, it's not that hard. This has come Whatever. Uh, I'm gonna call him Josh going forward. So Great. Josh was actually he was born to a 16 year old mother and some mechanic that was barely old enough to like gets one pregnant basically and he was mm-hmm. immediately sent off for adoption normally i would say that this guy was dealt like a pretty bad hand given that he was born into these circumstances but he was like adopted at two weeks old by what i'm going to describe as mostly normal people mm-hmm. they were religious 
lunatics who basically would put him in Bible camps. And as far as I can tell, I would classify them as like evangelical. Um, the one thing that did happen to him that was obviously horrific was being molested by an uncle. And the way the family dealt with that was you need more religion. So that wasn't great. Like his mental health was not super well taken care of. And the uncle didn't like go to jail or anything, huh? No, of course not. And Yikes. I mean, yeah, yeah, you'll see this play itself out later on, like that 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 molestation piece of it will manifest itself later on. It's interesting because he um his family, the family that adopted him, came from like these like crazy, like this crazy background. Like his grandfather was apparently one of the most influential theatrical directors ever. And his grandma was a Lithuanian princess. Whoa, I, I mean, cool. yeah, like it has no bearing on any of this, but like these people were very, very waspy. You know, I saw a documentary about this this crime that we're gonna discuss, and they interviewed like his uncle and aunt, mm -hmm. and dude, their house looked like one of the coolest houses you'll ever see. It was like a glass mm -hmm. house. It was insane. Like, these people were like very, very waspy. Yeah, yeah. This all happens in Connecticut, the home of the wasps. So just work there. That is true. We know that. So around the time Josh was 12 or 14, this is when the molestation piece kind of manifests itself. He also had a sister who was also adopted by this family, and that sister accused him of molesting her. Yeah. Which is like the cycle you see, right? Like if somebody gets yeah. molested, like they just keep kind of perpetuating that cycle. So and around this time, Josh was also doing some other petty crimes, such as breaking into homes and burglarizing them, which is like an insane thing to do when you're like 12 to 16 years old. But he did it a lot. <laughs> Josh my, was, my lip right. Sorry, my libertarian cousin who was like it was like what did he say he says oh the one who said that like america is not, he said america is the least racist country now on facebook and i was like oh my god it was like super embarrassing but i wanted to say to him to say oh yeah because do you remember when you got arrested for breaking into houses when you were 15 years old did you were you afraid the cops were going to shoot you no because you're white you're white but i left that out because i'm pretty sure it's a felony but he definitely so did that so I um I was literally talking to someone about this. After having gone to Europe, I can attest that America has a much better perspe perspective on racism, at least as it relates to me, than English yeah. people do. Like, English people still do think that if you're not, like, as white Which as the Dickens... people have a problem then... with brown people, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was uh that was a, that was a unique experience. It was like it, it was like it was like living in America like the, in the 1990s as me. Like I was like, wow, this is crazy. Um wow. but yeah, good point. So Josh ends up getting so Josh had actually committed about 18 burglaries at this point. By the time he was accused and convicted of sexually molesting the sister, he'd committed about 18 burglaries. Like this is his wow, thing. You just like go out. Yeah. But but it yeah. was also like my take on it was like, okay, this kid like literally has nothing but like religious indoctrination. Like, yeah, it's got to be fun to go break into people's houses. So yeah. yeah. He gets nine years in prison. It was interesting because he. This is like when he started like showing some sociopathic tendencies. He told his lawyer that he would like to go into the bedrooms of the people that he, whose house he broke into and just go from bedroom to bedroom and just listen to them breathing, not Ooh. doing anything, and just oh, listen they were to home. Them. And they'd be home. Oh my god! And, yeah, and it was something around how he like wanted he just liked knowing that he had this like power over them that he was breaking into their intimate space that he was disturbing their privacy and all that stuff Jesus Christ. 
So, and, and that kind of leads to, like, he, this is, like, when he kind of starts showing that he's kind of fucked up. One thing that was interesting was that he was apparently, like, super, super smart, too. So, he had, like, a photographic memory. So, apparently, mm-hmm. when he was, like, coming clean about these burglaries, he could remember every detail. He mm-hmm. would tell you how much money he took from which house, what denominations that money was, where he found the money. If he found them in pants, he would tell you where the pants were, what color they were, what kind of pants oh they were. And... He was a crazy good artist. Like his, like I saw pictures of his art, and I was like, "Dude, this kid was like super talented." And he didn't utilize it the way he should. His poetry was going back to poetry. His poetry was really, really um, uh, dark, but like, mm-hmm. like I wouldn't classify it as like something I want living in my head. But like, it's good to read. It's it's not a bad read. But so, so anyways, he had a lot of stuff going on there. So five years after the conviction for the sexual assault and this burglary, he is paroled and he's sent to a halfway house. This is around 2007. 2007. Yep. There you go. Perfect timing, right? Mm -hmm. And this is when he would meet the other antagonist of our story, a guy named Stephen Joseph Hayes, who very recently, as of like two, three years ago, came out as trans transgender and changed gender orientation. And so from here on out, I'll just refer to Steven by his current name, which is Linda Hayes. Thank you. And, okay, and it, I'll be referring to her as her going forward. So okay. Linda was quite a bit older than Josh. And it, I think it, it amounts to somewhere around 17 years older than Josh is. The events we're discussing here, again, they happened in, the, in mid 2007. So Josh would have been 27 and Linda would have been around 44 years old. That being said, Usually the dynamic that we talk about is how the older one manipulates the younger one. That's mm-hmm. really not the case here. Linda seemed like a total fucking burnout, nothing loser. Like, like she spent most of her life in jail for like stupid petty crimes, like breaking the window to a car to steal like a computer, like stuff mm-hmm. like this. Like Linda had been arrested about 30 times by this point. Like it was just petty, stupid shit. It wasn't like creepy. I'm going to stand at your, the foot of your bed while you're breathing crimes like it feels like josh was the one that was the most influential over the two of mm-hmm. over the, their dynamic with each other linda mm-hmm. would apparently try to od and kill herself many times while she was younger i actually watched this documentary it's on hbo if you want to watch it it's called the cheshire murders because mm-hmm. it happened in cheshire connecticut i watched this documentary and they interviewed linda's brother who i don't totally want to talk shit about because he seems like he has some kind of a degenerative disease the way he moves no. his mouth and talks he has like ms or lou Gehrig's. i can't really tell what but after the crimes took place he like Linda's on trial and um the brother writes to the judge and the prosecutor about how like they should put the brother to, or Linda to death because he, he was such a terrible brother growing up and talks about how when the brother was five Linda put his hand on a hot plate and was like you should kill this kid like I mean it, like, there's a lot of like ludicrous assumptions being made there but the long story short was that Linda's entire family kind of hated her so that's kind of where where that start, start ended up. It is interesting because Linda does have a kid that was interviewed on the um on the HBO special on the documentary, mm-hmm. and that kid had just gone back from police academy when all these crimes happened. It's so, like the kid went a totally different direction than Linda did, which is kind of interesting. Wow, could you imagine? Like that's how crazy. different? Yeah, because you're like, I mean, that and he's old too. You know, like being old and having your parents can be like a criminal. Yeah, yeah, it's gotta know, be a little wild. Yeah. So let's, we're going to turn our attention to the victims of this case. So we have the nuclear family, right? We have 48-year-old Jennifer Hawk Pettit, who was a nurse and the director of a private boarding school and also the mother of this family. 
Her dad was a pastor in town. And again, they just seem like this like overall waspy, happy-go-lucky family. Mm-hmm. We have their her daughter, 17-year-old Haley Pettit, who was about to graduate high school and attend Dartmouth College. She was an overachiever. She was an honor roll. She wrote varsity for crew. Uh, she had started actually a nonprofit for at our school to fundraise for MS research because Jennifer, the mom, had MS herself. Aww. Yeah, sweet kid, apparently had a lot going on for her. And then we have the younger sister. She's 11 years old. Her name is Michaela Pettit. Lastly, we have the father, William Pettit, who was a doctor and endocrinologist in town and, you know, the, the, the patriarch here. July 22nd of 2007 is when all this kind of goes down. So on that day, which was a Sunday, Jennifer and Michaela went grocery shopping to get some, some food. Apparently, Michaela made dinner for the family a lot. It was really, it was really sweet. They, they went grocery shopping, and Josh saw them and started kind of following them and observing their routine. Josh and Linda had become friends at this point, and this is where it's a little bit of a conflict. I don't totally know the truth. They either became friends at the halfway house, or they became friends by attending a meetings together. There's conflicting reports on that. Long story short is that they started texting, and the text was something along the lines of, hey, I saw this family. Uh, I think we can break into their house because that's what I do. I'm Josh. I br- we're going to break into their house, and we can go ahead and steal a bunch of stuff, and it'll be, it'll be great. Nobody's going to get hurt. That's what we're going to do. One thing to, to mention here is that in the documentary that I watched, they interviewed Josh's girlfriend at the time, and they also interviewed the girlfriend's dad. And there was some insinuation that Josh had pedophilic tendencies. He obviously had some enough to sexually molest the daughter or the, 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 the his sister, but the intu- intuition, what, what's being intuited here is that he told Linda we're going to rob this house, but it's believed he actually was trying to get to Michaela. And that was kind of the, you know, the main idea here. How old is she? 11. Ugh, gross. Linda doesn't know any of this. Linda's assessment is like, we're just gonna go rob this place because Linda's a burnt out loser. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, you're gonna follow a 27 year old when you're 44 who does that so the two arrived in the early hours of july 23rd so they saw the mother and daughter on sunday july 22nd they put this plan in action they arrived in early morning hours josh enters the house through the unlocked door in the basement william the dad he's asleep in the sunroom so away from the rest of the family he's downstairs in the sunroom josh had found a bat in the base basement and bludgeoned the shit out of William, knocking him unconscious. They would then zip tie William's arms and legs, and then they would make their way up to the family's rooms where they would just like grab them, put their hands over their face and say, don't scream. They'll zip tie all the the individual people upstairs and put pillowcases on their head. Again, the plan is we're robbing this house. So they ransack the house looking for things to steal and they find some cash and realize that there's gotta be more money somewhere. So Linda starts freaking out at this point because again, like this is going, this has gone too far for Linda already. Mm-hmm. She's there to rob a house. We don't know for sure, but it was assumed that Josh told Linda to go to the gas station and fill up some gas canisters. So we see him doing this. He takes a family car, he goes to the gas station and fills up some gas canisters. It's during this time Josh stays at the house and he uses this as his opportunity to basically rape Michaela. And then it's all documented. It's like he took pictures of this on his Mm -hmm. cell phone. 
apparently after the trial, the state ended up offering free counseling to the jurors for having a look at these pictures. Like it was one of those things. This is one where I'm really glad that we're not a video medium yet because my face is like just a gross yeah, horror yeah. this whole time. Yeah, it's not. And like, this is also like just in cold blood that we talked about. Yeah. Before. You so read it. Somebody that yeah. when when I was listening to the documentary, somebody said this is the most gruesome thing that's happened since cold in cold blood. Yeah, it was actually referred in the in the documentary. It's like such a similar fucking story. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. This is where things get a little bit dicey and gets a little a little bit more true primey. So. Josh takes Jennifer in the morning to the bank and tells her to withdraw a bunch of cash. He does not go in the bank with her. He stays in the car. Fucking That's stupid idea. Crazy. Okay, go ahead. Continue. It's crazy because what ends up happening, it's just like, it's like, why didn't she so say many... anything? Is it, she will they will kill your family? What happened? Yeah, so she did. She tell. there's video of this. Like, there's oh my God. From, the, from the Bank of America. And she looks, she looks like a haunted woman when she's in front of this teller and she's telling the teller, Hey, we're being held hostage. Do something about this. She writes this down in a note. She gives her the bank manager. The bank manager immediately calls the police. You can hear the audio recording of all of this. If you listen to the documentary, the police show up at the bank and then basically just don't reveal themselves. Jennifer apparently told the bank teller that, Hey, these guys are not aggressive. She hadn't seen that they bashed they bludgeoned. She didn't even know. She didn't know because they dragged him into the basement. So to her, she was like, Look, they're just trying to ransack the house and steal money. Like they're not trying to hurt us. So, like you know, they're not aggressive. They're just after money. Josh, Josh takes her back to the house, and at this point, police have basically just shown up at the bank, and that's the story that they were at the bank, kind of surveilling things. They don't this follow her where, home. This is okay. So this is where it gets weird. This is where like it's not totally clear. So there was a FOIA request for the transcripts of what the police were doing by the media and it's all kind of like blacked out. Nobody knows for sure. And the police aren't saying for sure if they were at the house or not during this time. It's assumed that somebody, some police were like at the house sort of, but we don't know that for sure. Would they end up, would they, for what they definitely said was that they showed up at the house when these two were getting away because they rammed into a deputy's patrol car and that's when they were arrested. But there's this window of time from when they got back from the bank to when they escaped the house, when all the horror took place. Right. And, and people what? people generally think like this could have been prevented because- A hundred percent think that. Yeah, like there was no weapons involved, right? Like there was no guns, there was no knives, nothing. All they did was they found this bat and the police could have done something, but they seemingly they did like, nothing. They should have gone there. They should have been there. Yeah, yeah. So I was listening to a presser where the mayor mayor's like talking about what heroes the police were and how proud of them they were. And it's like one of those things where your jaw's like your jaw hits the like, what what are they were late. They were late, yeah, exactly. (sighs) It reminded me of the shooter in Vegas. Remember that when the cops were in the hallway and they wouldn't Mm -hmm. go in the room and they could have like apparently saved a bunch of lives there. Oh yeah, like it was faulty as well when like the cops didn't do shit. Which like um, look, look, I don't blame them, but like I, I wouldn't go in that room either. But I didn't. That's not your job. A, I didn't sign yeah. up to be a cop. Like, exactly, exactly. It's not your job. Um, that's so stupid. Ugh, yeah, that's awful. So they get back to the house, and Linda ends up raping Jennifer in the living room, and then he strangles Linda, or she, she, she strangles Linda to death. Right. Linda strangles Jennifer to death. Yes. And apparently during this time, again, William's in the basement. He can hear what's going on above him and his wife screams and he's shouting at them, telling them to stop. 
And Linda shouts back that it's going to stop soon enough. Like he was trying to be funny and like, a, I'm going to kill her kind of way. That's how this is going to stop. Why isn't he out of the basement? He's been zip tied. He's had his head back. He's been tied to a pole. But he was, it's so sad too, because we look at pictures of this guy after this all happened. Because so many people were like, you could have saved your family. You should have saved your family. You should have done whatever. Sure. You look at his, you look at his head. Dude, they cracked his head wide open. Like, mm-hmm. like he was not in like a good position to like help anyone. But I can imagine as a man and that's your family, like the events afterwards had to be like nightmarish for you. But man, every basement has that like terrifying pull. Yeah, right. That you like run into on roller skates and or get zip tied to. Someone's you. Tied too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remind me of the um the uh uh BTS or G uh, what is it? BTK murders too. Because that's what mm-hmm. he did. He zip tied them to a, the pipe in the basement. Yeah, that's what they have in breaking bad, remember? You're like oh. Yeah. Yeah. So William somehow manages to free himself enough to escape out of the basement door that they act Josh and Linda actually let themselves in from and started making out to a neighbor. This is the time when he said he could, he swore he saw men like in the backyard, like, like, like cops. Police? Yeah. Like the assumption was that there were police there and nobody came out to help him. But again, part of me is like, he also, his head was wide open. Like he'd been bleeding out for this whole thing took seven hours. He'd been bleeding in the basement for seven hours out of this like oh these massive, massive head wounds. So like, could he have seen nothing? I don't know. Right. So, he's definitely like confused. Oh my God. Poor guy. So around this time, Josh starts dousing Jennifer's body and the two girls who are still alive and zip tied in their rooms in gasoline. Not, no. not good. They spark the house and they try to make an escape in the family vehicle and are immediately stopped by police. They ram into the police patrol car and the police hop out. And again, this is where like where there's this this difference between like the police say we showed up when they were leaving. It was a coincidence that all this happened at the time that it happened. But the FOIA request showed that police actually did say that they saw fire consuming the house. Like somebody was there. We don't know for how long or whatever. So oh my God. The, the girls ended up dying due to smoke inhalation before the rescuers could get to them. <sighs> and their bodies were pretty burnt up. And nobody knows if that was pre or post-mortem that they got burnt, which is That's the worst fucking way in your fucking bedroom as a teenager. Yeah, as an 11 year old, one of them. So Josh and Linda get uh, set for trial and they ended up having separate trials. Linda was the first one to go. And apparently Linda and Josh both were like, we'll do a plea deal. We'll do a plea deal. We'll do life in jail. And the prosecution's like, no, no, we're taking our chances and we're going for death. Like, there's, yeah. like we're, this, is, this is not one of those times when you get a plea deal. The Linda's lawyers would argue that Josh was the brains of the operation. That didn't convince anybody. They did five hours of deliberation. They found him guilty, and they also sentenced him to death. Obviously, like this, it was yeah. such like it was it's horrible. I mean, I've listened to all these like uh, these talk shows where like y'all should have literally just put two in the back of their head like immediately. Like these people did not even deserve a trial. I don't know how I feel about this. So in August of 2015, before Linda could be executed or Josh, for that matter, the state of Connecticut abolished the death penalty. So Linda's now in jail forever without the possibility of parole. I don't really know how I feel about it. Like, you know, the death penalty, like, it, it's not really that big of a deterrent. And it does cost a lot more than keeping someone in jail for life. And maybe being in jail for life is worse than the death penalty. But there's a part of me that's like, man, the, the dad should decide what happens to them. Like, it, I, know. I know. My friend Agnes from Illinois said, uh, slacked me and said, it sounds like Farz is pretty pro-death pro penalty. <laughs> 
You know what's funny is I did death penalty defense work and when I was in law school. Did you really? Yeah, like I was literally, I was trying to get people off uh, death row in Florida. Um, but I don't know, that was a long time ago. And like, part of me, like, I don't know how I feel about it. It's interesting because in this case, what ended up happening was this sparked Connecticut's entire obsession with the death penalty. Because mm-hmm. if you were pro-death penalty, this is the case you point to and say, obviously we should kill these people. Yeah. And what ended up happening was the state legislators passed a bill to abolish the death penalty. It went up to the governor and the governor was like, no, I'm not going to sign this specifically because these two have to die. Like it, that was wow. it. it was just because of these two. And so it went back to the legislator, the state legislators, and the state legislation passed another bill saying, fine, going forward, anybody convicted of the death penalty or going forward, nobody can be convicted of the death penalty. Previously, anybody on death row can be killed by death penalty. And it was just these two. So they passed this bill just to ensure these two get killed. The the, gov- the governor signed that into law. Mm-hmm. Obviously, one of the Supreme Court of Connecticut and the Connecticut Supreme Court was like, no, you can't have if, if you if you apply it now, it has to apply retro as well. And they mm-hmm. found it unconstitutional and struck it down and said, fine, we we'll, won't have a death penalty at all. And as a result of that, that ended up these two ended up on life without parole. So um, I mean, yeah, that's I don't have they ever done that? Because I know that like like all the Manson family, like they should have been absolutely death penalty but they weren't because um of the 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 lot change so is it always like retroactive yeah so i remember this in law school there was something about how if it's a criminal case you can't if you change the law that law has to retroactively apply to the people that are being punished by that law like it was it mostly came up in the in in the case of like drug offenses when california made drugs legal yeah um or marijuana legal but it also mm-hmm. happened with um the manson murders right like they were all on death yeah. row and they're like nope nope we're just gonna abolish it all together and, and, then, and then but then, but then it came back when it came back they can't also then retroactively increase your punishment after the fact right so california then passed laws mm. saying that death penalty is okay scott peterson's on death row but they couldn't put the people who were previously off death row back on death row oh my god sense. what a roller coaster i know i know so <laughs> this it's interesting because this thing had so much so many policy applications the dad, William, would move on with his life. He'd get married. He'd have another kid uh, later on in life. He actually became, uh, he was tapped to run for the U.S. House or the Senate. I can't remember which by the RNC because mm-hmm. he obviously came on was like, as a talking, that was a dog. As a talking point, he's like a really good candidate on the Republican 100%. side, right? Because he's 100% pro-death penalty. He's 100% pro-Second Amendment. So it's like, it's a really good He'd be a good candidate. He turned that down. He ended up running for a state Senate, which he won. Uh, and his term is up actually this year. Um, and who knows what's going to happen after that. But it's a horrible, horrible case. And I can't imagine being that guy and how you live with yourself. Like, He looks, ha- I've got, he has a, a, a wife and a baby. But yeah, I don't know how you like move on from that. What, like, what, how would a gun have helped? He had hit in the head while he was sleeping. No, it's not that it would have helped. It's that like, it gives you this sense of like, how can I stop the, how can I, is, is there anything that could limit my ability to be victimized in this random situation? And it's like, I don't know, like, no, a gun would not have helped. He was sleeping, but like, I don't know. You're right. It wouldn't have helped. Damn that my argument completely fell apart. I mean, like, I imagine that like, I don't know, one of the girls could have found the gun, but like, also you shouldn't have a gun around your kids. Like, I don't know. 
it's terrible. It's awful. The the randomness of it is so scary. The people being in your house, the fucking failure of the police to help her. Like Dude, it's crazy. That She's was at crazy. The bank. Like you could see her and she looks like just like a ghost woman. And it's like just follow her home and then just tackle one of like I don't the, her parents were so sad. Like the parents oh were God. the pastor. They're like these sweet, sweet old people and they were like, you could have, they could have called their house phone and asked to talk to them. You know, like, they were like trying to throw out suggestions. Anyways, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was bad, but. Um, a million things. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That's part of it. Like, it's, it's the randomization of it. It's the fact that they were just such a normal family piece of it that mm-hmm. plays into it. It's just like, you don't expect stuff like that to happen to people like that, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also, there's part of it. It's like it reminds me of Straw Dogs or Nocturnal Animals. Have you ever seen either of those movies? Mm-mm. It's largely around like being victimized and not being able to do anything to stop it. And mm-hmm. um, Nocturnal Animals is like really bad. So Straw Dog, actually, they're both really really bad. That's but they're so they're yeah they're they're I mean they're scary, but like I don't know. It's not scary in a fun way. It's not like. The conjuring is scary. It's in like, you know, sexual assault scary. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate that. Um, but yeah, that's my story today. Oh, that's terrible. I thought you were gonna talk about a different one because there's another one, another family that like something similar happened to. Um Who? And and it was in D the one in DC in twenty fifteen. The Savopolis family, S A V O P O U L O S. And they had two daughters who were out of town and one of them is on Instagram and she's like, talks about her life and being like, what do you do? You know? I mean, what happened? Somebody broke into their house? Yeah. And killed um, the mom and the dad and the housekeeper and the little boy. Why? It's terrible. Random? Um, to steal money. Um, he was like, I think he was someone, I'm bringing Wikipedia really fast. He like knew them in some way, but it came back to, he was someone that they had fired, I guess. Okay, so it's not like entirely randomized. No, but it's still like a, in your house kind of killing. Yeah. Would a gun have helped them? Ugh, I'm going to lock all my doors. Yeah, no kidding. I don't know if a gun would have helped them. God, I'm so glad I have Luna. That's true. I feel so safe when she's here. Yeah, I think like um, we should be pro big dog. We are pro big dog. We're pro big dog podcast. Yeah. All right. Well, that is our story, Taylor. I know you have to rush your recital. What do you have? 30 minutes to get there? Uh, yeah, it's in an hour, so I have to dress up and get the boy to dress up, and then we're going to go and watch some kids play some instruments. That sounds fun. Is, yeah. is Florence playing? No, she, well, excuse me, Miles does piano, and Florence does Girl Scouts, but I heard a rumor that she would start playing the violin, so. You heard rumors? I don't know. Is yeah. the word on the street? Yeah, I was telling my sister, like. When I have to help Miles with his piano, I'm like, I literally don't know anything. I know nothing. So it's like asking me to help Miles conjugate verbs in Chinese. I'm like, I don't know. He's like, what do I do here? I'm like, I literally don't know. I don't know what the notes mean. I don't know what they're supposed to sound like. I don't know what the keys are. Like, I don't know anything. I, I cannot help you. I'm, I can sit here and make sure you sit here, but there's literally nothing I can do. You know more than me. Yeah, you got to stop paying your piano teacher because that's when they're coming to you for guidance, that's not a good thing. No, no, no. I'm saying me. I cannot help him. Right. Right. He's doing great. Good. Yeah. I did piano for a long time when I was a kid too. Yeah. Can you still play? No. I can still do Deck the Halls um, because oh. that's the first song you learn and that's it. So I can do Deck the Halls on piano. Right. I can do Wonderwall on guitar and that is literally it. 
You are a catch, Mars. Which, like, which, like, you don't need to know more than that. No. So. Oh wait. Okay. Oh wait. Oh wait. Sorry. Thank you to everyone for listening. I'm sorry. I'm just like falling asleep as we're ending this. I don't know what's going on. Um. Also, nobody who doesn't know us listens to this because I got zero emails from people who don't know us. That can't be true. If you don't know us, please email me. Tell that me that you don't true. know me. Just say, hey, I don't know you. Listen to your podcast. What's the email? You got to tell them what the email is. It's doomedtofailpod at gmail.com. Doomedtofailpod at gmail.com. Yeah, tell them, there's no way. Like, we have enough downloads to where, like, I don't think these are our, like, all of our, I mean, maybe, like, uh, 10 of them are our friends or family. Email me. Tell me about your life. Email Taylor. Okay. Cool. I'll go ahead cool. and cut Follow this off. Follow us on the things. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Bye. Bye.